Thank you for choosing the podcast of Four Mile Creek Baptist Church in Moss Point, Mississippi. To discover more about Four Mile Creek or what it means to follow Jesus, you can visit us online at www.fourmilecreek.org. Here is this week's message. It's good to see each and every one of you here. Again, we want to welcome you to our service. Today we will jump back in time to the end of last year, now, now, right? And we're going to pick up back up in Psalm 119 where we're preaching. So we're in Psalm 119, verses 73 through 80. That's Psalm 119, verses 70, 73 through 80. And as we begin, one thing I've noticed about life is that when life's pleasures seem to abound, it's almost as if God's voice is perhaps quieted a little, perhaps he's like whispering in our ears, and I'll wholly admit that the likelihood is that it's on us. It's what my wife likes to refer to as selective hearing, if there is such a thing. And just like in our everyday relationships, our relationship with, with God, sometimes it takes that which is tumultuous to come along so that we are more discerning to the voices that are coming from the outside, particularly coming from God. And it seems like in these tumultuous times, that's when God speaks the loudest. That's when he, he shouts out so that we could hear or maybe our ears are just more attuned. And I think God will, in fact, silence the pleasures of this life so that he doesn't have to compete for our attention. The pleasures of this life, they call out to us. They, they want us to, to draw into them and God wants us to draw into him. So he silences these, these pleasures because he's not going to compete. And he'll shout to us in these times of suffering and these times of, of pain. And I think if the author of Psalm 119 were here today, he would affirm this. He would give a, a hearty amen to the proposition. Now what we see in verses 70 through, 73 through 80 move us to the next letter of our Hebrew alphabet and it's Yod. So if you remember from Psalm 119, it is set in stanzas and it's built as an acrostic. So each stanza begins with the letter, the corresponding su successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So we're at the 10th the movement of this particular psalm. And if we were going to label it, I believe it would be almost like a prayer stanza because the, the author opens up with prayer. He ends with prayer. And as we move through it, it, it is seasoned or peppered with prayer throughout. And as we look at this psalm and as we've worked through a large portion of 119 and we were to look at the rest of God's scripture and evaluate God's truth, what we find is that there is a cost to discipleship in our lives. And part of that cost is pain. Part of that cost is affliction. Part of that cost is suffering. Because God is looking to use that to conform us into the image of his son Jesus. So when, that's, when it comes, be thankful. And when you find yourself in the middle of pain, the pain that brings the change, or if it's just a, a you may be there today, or perhaps you're not, and you've been there in the past, and everything's going good now, perhaps this is just a lesson, a, a word from, from God that you can put into your pocket for when those times, when it comes, that you'll be ready. 
You see, there's much blessing that's found when the suffering and the pain comes in trusting God and being obedient to him. So why is there pain in God's plan? Well, let's look at our verses. Verse 71 reads, Your hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I've hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes, that I may not be put to shame. Father, we thank you just for a word today. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who is concerned with our hearts, that you're a God that's concerned with everything that's going on in our life. And you're not too big, you're not too busy, you're not too out of the way to meet us right here. In fact, you are here, God. And Lord, we submit ourselves to what you want to teach us today. Spirit, we pray that you would just open our hearts and our eyes and that you would just show us a mighty new thing. Lord, that we wouldn't be the same people that we were when we came in, but God, that you would change us down to the core. Because Lord, we want to be like Jesus, no matter what the cost, no matter what the suffering and the pain, no matter what it is, God, we want to be like your son, Jesus. We want to bring you glory here on this earth and in our community and in our church and wherever we go. We want people to look at us and say, no matter what comes, no matter what the circumstance or the situation, the God they serve is faithful. He's with them. Lord, help us to bring you glory in the way we respond today. Father, this is your time, and we are your people. And we pray that you have your way in us. Lord, we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You see, brothers and sisters, there's a reason why you're here. God made you so that you can know him. It's one of those questions we ask in life. How am I created? Why am I here? Why did God decide to create me? If you've been part of our Wednesday night study, you'll know that that God created us. This is from this past week. That God created us in his image like him both male and female, that he created us with a purpose. And that purpose is to know him. That purpose is to love him. That purpose is to live in communion or or fellowship with him and each other. And all the while we do this, we bring him great glory. That is your purpose. That is why God made you. And so the bottom line is this, God creates, he makes mankind, he makes them in his image, they are his representatives, they are his ambassadors. That's you, that's me. God has made us so that we could go about and share with everyone that there's this great creator that deserves their worship, that deserves glory. So God made you to know him. He is our creator. Verse 73 reads, Your hands have made and fashioned me. 
If we look at, at what David wrote in the Psalms, in Psalm 139, it reads this way. He adds depth. He adds complexity to God's sovereign creation. His sovereign work and activity in making and fashioning and forming you. It reads this way. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you, and when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me. When I was formless, all my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Think about it. God made you. He fashioned you with his hands, with great precision and detail, with specificity. God created you, planning it all the way down, leaving nothing to chance. The psalmist knew this. You and I should know the same thing. God made you for a reason. He fashioned you, he formed you. You're not the byproduct of some evolutionary process. You're not what happens when chance or randomness occurs. You're handmade, handcrafted. All the ladies love their purses or pocketbooks, whatever you call them. The girl bags. Even the dudes are now wearing the, the fanny packs across the chest. I don't really understand it. I may get a fanny pack one day. <clears throat> so if you see it, I don't want to hear anything. You put all kinds of stuff in there. I think, I think you've got to have a multi-tool in it, though, right? For it to be acceptable. But we think about these items, particularly items that are made with leather, and, and we start thinking about how, how more valuable something is when it's hand-stitched or it's, it's handmade. It's not left to a, a process of stamping or machining. You see, that's you. You and I are here on purpose. We are here for a purpose. God makes both of us. And the thing about God is He's not in the robotic business. He's not running a, an assembly line. God isn't in the, the... His last name's not Sanford. He's not in the junk business. You see, the tendency of this world... <clears throat> is to settle in into sinful flesh. It's to settle in and, and mankind begins denying that God is even creator. We begin to challenge God at His Word. We shouldn't expect anything less of... Uh, the Bible tells us that, that sinful people will do sinful things, that they are enslaved to, to sin in, in their minds, in their deeds, in their, their very heart. And this world offers every one of you today, it offers everyone else outside of the, the church and the, the, the brotherhood of believers, it offers a, a redefining of humanity. And it could be any number of things. It could be, hey, you define yourself however you want. This is where we get our, our gender agnostics. That's my play on words for those people who don't, don't know what gender they are. Or perhaps it's the, it's the multipliers of pronouns. You decide who you want to be. God doesn't have a say-so in that. And we shouldn't be surprised by this. This is just a sinful world living in sinful rebellion to God and what He said. It could be a false gospel. 
All you got to worry about is doing more good than you do bad. It's okay, you just try your hardest. All roads lead to the top of the mountain. But whatever it is, if you trace it, if you run down those philosophical avenues of worldviews and beliefs, what you find at the end of every one of them is a heart that is sinful, that seeks to depose God from His throne and install itself as ruler of their own life. Understand that, that God's work in creation, uh, He has in mind here more than just physical descriptors. Certainly God fashions that which is physical. But there's a greater application here for the church member. Because all across the world, people buy into this false belief that God cannot use them in service to serve other people and to reach other people and to bring Him glory. It could be that there you are thinking, hey, I'm not good enough for God to use. Or I'm not naturally talented enough for God to use me to serve other people. Well, I've got news for you. All of those people that you see that are working in ministry, that are serving others, that are reaching others, those people that you would look at who are the Billy Grahams and the Adrian Rogers of the faith, none of them were good enough in and of themselves. None of them were naturally talented enough in and of themselves. This is why God sends His Spirit. This is why God gives His Spirit and has it indwell the believer. That is why He gives good gifts to men. That we may serve Him and that we may glorify Him. The fact is, God wants you to serve I need you to serve. You need me to serve. Because that's how God made this thing. That's how God made this living and breathing organism of the church. He gives good gifts to men so that we might serve others and realize that purpose. You have a place. You have a reason. Don't neglect it. What else does the psalmist want us to know? Well, he wants us to know that God is a great teacher. Repeatedly through Psalm 119, he refers to God as, as divine teacher or as instructor. The word teach occurs more than 12 times throughout all of Psalm 119. It's a, a major point of focus that God is the one who is teaching us. Here he doesn't use teach. He uses learn. But if we are to learn, that implies that we have a teacher. The psalmist prays to the Lord in verse 73. He says, give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. You say, well, why would he pray this to God? Well, the reason is, just like you and me, he prays because he knows he needs help to understand what God is saying to him. To understand what God's Word is saying. He's very specific in his request. He doesn't leave anything to chance. He's saying, God, give me, give me understanding. Give me wisdom. <clears throat> give me insight. Lord, I want to learn your word so that I can know your commandments, so that I can learn them. <clears throat> Within the context of the church, God has given us good gifts in teachers. God has given us good gifts in pastors. They are His good gifts to the church, to you, 
But you know what? It's not just you who need them. Pastors need them. Teachers need teachers. Right? We all need to be instructed by God. And the fact is, there's no substitute for God's Spirit in your life to show you what's in the Scripture, to illuminate the very truths of the Scripture, to bring you to a place where you understand and you comprehend that it soaks deep down into the heart and the soul and it begins to change you. So that as your hearts change, you live differently. So when God touches the intellect and you begin to see that, yeah, God, I, I begin to see these things coming, coming together. I see how you are providing for me sovereignly. You've made me to receive these things. And Lord, I'm receiving them and I'm growing. Then the desire is to live for him, to glorify him. Paul writes to the, the Corinthian church and he emphasizes the Spirit's work in teaching. He says, not, now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things and in words taught, taught, not, taught, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. You see, no matter how smart you are, how, how, how much you're educated, you and I will never outgrow our need for divine instruction from the Spirit. We always need to, to take Him at His word and allow the Spirit to give us understanding. God has made you for a reason. He has made you so that you may know Him. He has made you so that you can learn from Him. So why else were we created? Well, God made us so that we could be put to the test. And He puts you to the test so that you can lean into Him, that you can trust Him, that you can build faith in Him. So when we come to verses 74 through 79, this becomes the very heart of this stanza here. Because these verses are concerned with the psalmist and his affliction that he's growing through. And we've, all through 119, we've seen this continual theme of affliction that's come against our author. Now the important lessons that we, we the important lesson that we learn in this verse in particular is that, or in the stanza in particular, is that affliction and pain may actually and simply be part of God's plan for your life. That it's not necessarily a sign of chastisement or a sign of punishment. Often it is just simply, a, simply God being faithful to you. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, God, perhaps you can give me a break on being faithful. Right? We don't want to pray that prayer. Right? Because we always want him to be faithful. But, you know, I can see where, God, perhaps you can lighten up on the lessons. We... It's been a while, but in our previous stanza back from the, the end of last year in verse 71, the, and you roll back in your Bible just a little bit, the author writes this, that, it's, it's, that affliction can be for our good. He says, it is good for me that I was afflicted. Because in his affliction, he's able to learn the statutes of God. 
You see, it's a, a no pain, no gain scenario. And so, you know, affliction's going to come. God is going to use it to be a profitable teacher in your life, to teach you to have faith and trust him. And you say, well, when it comes, what am I supposed to do? Well, the psalmist gives us some answers. He says, thank God for his faithfulness when you're afflicted. If affliction is sometimes a sign of God being faithful to you, you should be thankful in those situations. Verse 74 begins with this word of confidence from our psalmist. He's in, he's in trouble, but he's confident in one thing, that delivery is on its way, that deliverance is on its way. And you say, well, why is that? Because God is looking to glorify himself in your life. He is looking to use your life to glorify himself in the lives of others. So if in affliction God is glorifying himself, you should be thankful because he's being faithful to you. He writes, those who fear you, talking about the Lord, will see me and rejoice. You see, God's faithfulness is on display in the life of the psalmist. His steadfast love, his mercy toward the psalmist will be clearly seen. And when it's seen, there will be rejoicing by those who are the onlookers. And it, it, you don't have to go very far in your own experience to think about how, how big God looks in the life of someone who is suffering that all the while in the midst of these circumstances, they can stand there through things that you've never been through and never want to go through and say, my God is faithful. We celebrate that. We look at it and we go, wow. We may even pray, God, give me the strength that if I ever endure a situation like that, that I can have the faith of this brother and sister in Christ who at, right in the midst of it declares God is faithful. And some of you say, well, brother, you may not know my situation. And you know what? You're right. I don't know your situation. But here we don't know the psalmist situation, at least not as yet. He hadn't revealed it to us. With great compassion and tenderness, let me, let, let me just say, it doesn't matter what your situation is. It doesn't matter how big that struggle is. It don't matter how afflicted you feel you are. It don't matter how great the pain is. And I know you, you're like, you preach it from an ivory tower up there. Well, I've had my share of affliction and suffering too. What we do know is that the psalmist has confidence in God because God is faithful. One thing that doesn't change is God's character. One thing that never changes, no matter how much you suffer or what you're going through, is God's activity. That he's still looking to work in your life. That he's still looking to bring you to a place of dependence. That he's still looking to use you to declare in the midst of your situation that he is faithful and he has never failed you. You say, well, this, this guy's pretty confident. Well, what, how, does, how does he get so confident? Well, he tells us. Verse 74, he says, those who fear you 
Speaking of the Lord, will see me and rejoice. Why? Because I have, I have hoped in your word. He's saying, I trust what the Lord says. He's on the throne, I'm not. He is the creator, and I am simply the created. I can believe him. He will never let me down. What else does he say? Verse 75, he says, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous. God, you always do the right thing at the right time. Everything you do is, is done perfectly and for the right reasons. Lord, your ways are they're never wrong. They're never incomplete or they're not half measures. They're not done in an arbitrary fashion. He goes on in 75, he says, In faithfulness you have afflicted me. You know, at the end of the day, God's plan for His people is to exalt them and destroy the wicked in their ways. Right? We would all affirm that. And if we got to choose how God did that, and thank God you're not on the throne and you don't get to choose. Because if, if you got to choose, it would be like this. You'd give a couple snaps and the, the people of God would be exalted. And then you, you'd cock the magic lightning fingers and you'd start picking off the wicked and probably giggling to yourself while you did it. But I can tell you this, you're not wise. Not the way that God is. And in God's wisdom, in God's wisdom, He operates in faithfulness. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, God humbles His people before He exalts them. He brings them to a total dependence and trust. He marches them forward in faithful obedience. And the reality is, is the school of affliction teaches some powerful lessons. And lessons that we will not soon forget. So how else do we respond when we are in times of affliction? We, we thank God for being faithful to us. We ask Him to, to comfort us. Because the fact of the matter is, the psalmist has already said, God, your rules are righteous, and then this reason, and for this reason, in your in faithfulness, you sent these afflictions. And so the psalmist has the proper perspective, but that doesn't change the fact that he is in this situation. It doesn't remove the fact that he's going through these this very difficult time. He needs God's comfort. He says, Lord, help me live with this. Help me to endure it. Lord, help me to persevere through this time of testing and trials. So he makes a request in 76. He says, let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise. <clears throat> in other words, he says, Lord, let your chesed, let your loyal love, let your covenant love, let your loving kindness, let your mercy take hold of me. Lord, I need these things. Lord, I need these things. Not only do I need them, but I believe and trust that you're going to give them to me. In 77, he says, let your mercy come to me that I might live. The CSB, instead of mercy, says compassion. The New Living Translation says tender mercies. And the idea is this, Lord, let your steadfast love comfort me. Let your mercy take hold of me. Lord, I need all of these things just so that I can have the strength in these afflictions to live. You see, his desperation is vivid. 
if we were to see the psalmist and he were to speak openly, we wouldn't be confused as to the difficult circumstance that he's in. But at the end of verse 77, he remains devoted and committed. He says, for your law is my delight. Lord, even in my afflictions, my love for your word continues. It continues unfaltered, unabated. It is my, my priority. And you and I can learn a lesson together with this psalmist. That the God, that this God who chastens is the same God who comforts. That this God who tears down is the same God who rebuilds. That this God who bruises is the same one that blesses. That this God who humbles is the same one who exalts. And I don't think we have to go much further than Paul's New Testament commentary of actually living this out with a thorn in his side, the thorn in the flesh, to see that God will use affliction to drive us to dependence, to drive us to trust, to drive us to belief and faith, and to grow us. So when affliction comes, thank Him. Thank Him for His faithfulness. Ask Him for His comfort. And trust Him to take care of those who oppose. In verse 78, we, we have the afflictors being revealed. They are the, the insolent. The psalmist asks the Lord, he says, put the insolent, the arrogant, to shame. And just their name, the insolent, the arrogant, it pinpoints their heart. It reveals who they are on the inside. Their inward disposition, they're puffed up, they're prideful. And that's worked out in lying. So their heart's corrupted and what do they do? Or they're outright liars. The psalmist says, they have wronged me with falsehood. They are slandering him with accusation. In verse 69, he says, they have smeared me with lies. They've attempted to take this psalmist down with perverse words or subversive sayings. They're looking to destroy his reputation, to pull him down. And it could be that the psalmist has come to a place where he could feel his resolve slipping. That it's the, the struggle is becoming more and more and more. But then we see the psalmist reaffirm his resolve. He says, as for me, not like these liars, not like these insolent, those who are insolent. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. God, I'm going to stay true to you. I'm not going to crawl into the sewer of this world and swim around with rumor, people who pass around rumors or people who gossip or people who are uh, utter half-truths or who are outright liars. Rather, what I'll do, God, is I'll meditate on your word of truth. I will live in that word. And your word will guide me no matter what comes my way. You see, pray that God will vindicate you with the righteous. It is always an encouragement for us to have fellow believers who are there towing the line with us who are fighting that fight, especially when we come to those situations or those periods of affliction and pain. That's why we share openly prayer requests with people that are, that are close to you, to us, 
Pray for me, I'm struggling here. You see, the psalmist doesn't have that. He's been abandoned. He's been forsaken. And it could be that his friends for the time period have been duped by what these, these insolent or arrogant people have been saying. So he prays in verse 79. He says, God, act on my behalf. God, this is, this is how you can help me. Let those who fear you turn to me. Lord, those who are, who like me, have a love for you and fear you, help them to come back to me in fellowship. Help them to come back to me in friendship and relationship. And so the psalmist is, he's again open. He, he's honest. He's willing to say, Lord, I miss those people. Lord, I need those people. You see, if you've ever been part of a church long enough, there will be people who come and they'll leave. That they will perhaps count the, the pleasures of the world or the sinfulness of the world, the attractiveness of a life that has no time for God more important than a Savior. They may bind a sin and walk away completely. It may be for a time period. But all of us today can be honest. It hurts. All of us today can, can be honest and we can be open and we can say that that, that that hurts. That it's difficult. It's okay to feel that way. It's, it's okay to voice that. And there will be times when people leave and they come back. And our attitude shouldn't be one like, well, you know, about time. It shouldn't be, I can't believe you did that. Our attitude should be like that of the psalmist. You see, when these people come back to him, the only thing he's going to do is tell them that God's been faithful. At the end of the day, God is faithful. He's faithful to his word. He's faithful to his people. The psalmist says, I will make known to them the testimonies of the Lord. He's basically going to say, God, I'm, a, I'm just going to show them and tell them how faithful you've been. That's the only the message I have for them. I'm just going to encourage them and say, hey, the God we serve is a faithful God. He's been here. He's taken care of us. He said, I just want to encourage them. Because when they come back, it should be an encouragement to me. Because you know what? God is being faithful in their life to bring them back. He's being faithful in your life to restore brothers and sisters in Christ back to you. The psalmist is saying, hey, you know what I learned during this time? I'm just going to share with them how, how good you've been, God. How well you've taken care of me. And the fact is that these lessons are tough. But they're worth it. Wherever we, are, we find ourselves in that period of affliction or, or pain, generally on the, the backside of it, it's easy for us to look at it and recognize that perhaps we never would have learned those lessons had it not come. So why else does God create? 
God made you so that you could live a life that's blameless, that you could live a life without shame. And so the the psalmist closes just like he began. He closes with a, a petition of prayer. And he reminds you and me of how very connected the heart is to the way some person, way people live. They're very, very close. I.e., if the heart's not right, the man won't live right. Proverbs 4.23 reminds us, importantly, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. You see, the psalmist knows that he needs the Lord. He knows that he, he needs the Word to have a pure heart and to live a blameless life. Guess what? You should know that as well. So Christian, pray for your heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately wicked. Who could know it? The psalmist affirms this truth all too well. And so he prays to the Lord, may my heart be blameless in your statutes. To be blameless would be uh, to be above reproach when it came to these things, not just in keeping the letter of the law, but that one's heart is settled in it, that our, our beliefs represent it, that our motives share it, that even our emotions that sometimes we don't let come out because we got them under control, they can be wrong too if our heart's not right. You see, he knew a basic spiritual truth. Be right on the inside, and your life will be right on the outside. Christian, live a blameless life that's above reproach. Engage God's word and let it change you. Also pray for your reputation. Look at verse 80. May my heart be blameless in your statutes that I may not be put to shame. The psalmist knew, as you should know too, you don't lose your salvation. You don't lose that full relationship with God. But it's possible as a child of God to bring shame, to be put to shame. And he didn't want to fail Jesus. He didn't want to fail his Lord. We don't want to fail Jesus. We don't want to do so privately. We, we don't want to do so publicly. And again, that truth is there. What's, what, what's on the inside will come out on the outside. Spurgeon says it this way, if the heart be sound in obedience to God, all is well or will be well. If right at heart, we are right in the main. If, if we be not sound before God, our name for piety is an empty sound. Mere profession will fail and undeserved esteem will disappear like a bubble when it bursts. Our sincerity and truth will endure in the evil day. He who is right at heart has no reason for shame, and he never shall have any. Hypocrites ought to be ashamed now, and they shall one day be put to shame without end. Their hearts are rotten, and their names shall rot. So today as we consider affliction, as we consider pain, and we consider what God is doing through it, let us also consider the one who was, who was afflicted the most, 
the one who deserved not any affliction, any pain, and any suffering, but took it on our behalf. You see, it was God's will. Again, we went through Mark. We learned that it was God's will to crush him. Crush him for us so that we might be made right, so that we can rejoice knowing salvation that's brought through Jesus. And so here this Savior walks to the cross in, in, in great love and great mercy and endures all of this pain and suffering that he didn't deserve for you and for me. How much more ought we to live for him in light of, of that great sacrifice? You're created with a purpose. You're not here by happenstance. Live it. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you for being a, a big God who's intimately concerned with who we are on the inside. And Lord, where we, we struggle through different circumstances and situations, Lord, we pray that, that right now, even if we're not in them, Lord, that you begin to shape our heart and move our heart to a place that when it does come, Lord, we can stand in the midst of our troubles and say, my God is faithful. Lord, if... if a brother or sister is going through a, a deep struggle, Lord, I pray today that, that you would comfort them, that you would help them to be thankful that you're moving in their heart and life to change them. Lord, that your, your mercy would show up and it would overwhelm them because they need you now. And Lord, as brothers and sisters, Lord, use us. Use us to comfort and console. Father, we thank you for that great sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf, for that suffering he endured for us. And Lord, I pray today, if there's one who, who has never fully accepted that, who has never repented of their sins and said, God, I'm truly sorry for what I've done, that I realize Jesus is the Savior and that he is the only way, and this world has many philosophies that says I can redefine myself and redefine you. Lord, cast that, that lie straight out. Break the heart. Spirit, break the heart and convict. Move that person to salvation. Lord, we as a church just want to live for you and bring you glory because that's why we're here. And so, Lord, we pray that you would just work. Lord, help us to respond rightly. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.